This program is sponsored by Wicked, Chronic, and Natick, Massachusetts. Located on 185 Worcester Street, right on Route 9, they can be reached at 508-545-8105 or at wickedchronicvendorcommerce.com. Wicked Chronic is a boutique-style retail shop that focuses on selling counterculture products such as Wiccan cannabis cultures coming together in a unique setting. You need something for that special spell? Go on down to Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts and speak to Beverly. Tell them Dr. Chris sent you. Check them out today. Welcome back, everyone, to the Dead TV Podcast, a podcast dedicated to all the canceled TV series in the science fiction, fantasy, and horror genre. We took a bit of a break, and now we're back, and we're continuing our coverage of the 2000 series Witchblade, based on the Top Cow comic book. I am your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Mr. Seneca. Tonight, we're covering Witchblade episodes four and five, and Mr. Seneca has the plot synopsis for episode four for us. Sacrifice, originally aired July 3rd, 2001. Pez investigates the ritual murders of young women. With some assistance from Kenneth Irons, she learns of an ancient Celtic legend that tells of human sacrifice required to bring back a life to a warrior queen. She also meets Conkabar, an Irish rock singer who has a profound effect on her. From Gabriel Bowman, she begins to gather information about the woman who may be her grandmother and her role as an allied spy during World War II. This episode opens up in what I thought was a dungeon. But turns out it's just a warehouse. Kenneth Irons reading a book. The, the story of the Irish prince turned king and this warrior goddess woman that uh, ends up teaching him how to fight. And uh, so it's kind of a callback story throughout the entire episode where Sarah and Conkabar are basically fighting. And then it turns into fight and then love and then sex pretty much repeatedly throughout the episode. Yeah, because... Sarah's dating this Irish uh, guitarist, and this kind of comes up a lot, that they're reincarnations of past lovers. Yeah. It's very interesting. You know, it's a reincarnation, but yet they both are the same people. And uh, he immediately recognizes her, and she doesn't recognize him at all. And it's not explained why he recognizes her at all, but it seems that there's some sort of past memory going on. The, it's it's a bit confusing. The body that's inside the dungeon uh, is strangled and then stabbed through the heart with a stone sword. Right. And that actually right. happens twice. So we also get more of Captain Dante in this episode as he is uh, digging into information and being very chummy with Jake in this episode um, for plot lines that will come up later on. Uh, this actor is played by Nestor Serrano, and he is in everything. <laughs> he is still acting to this very day. But if you look up this actor's IMDb, he has been in stuff every year, going back to 1982. Uh, most notably, he was in um, Act of Valor, Bad Boys, Day After Tomorrow. Uh, you know, he's been on Law & Order. He, of course, who hasn't been on Law & Order? Chicago Fire, <laughs> 90210. Other Law and Order shows, other Law and Order shows. 
But yeah, I mean, he he's been a he's been an actor usually playing cops. He plays cops in so many things. Oh, so many things. Oh my god, detectives, cops, lawyers, good guys, bad guys, usually bad guys. He gets typecast with that look playing a bad I mean, guy. He, he he does have that asshole cop look to him. You know, right. you, you if you have that look, you're not going to be a lead. <laughs> What's the you're weird, going to be a supporting actor. What's the weird symbol that Sarah and Jake find? So the symbol is actually, uh, they claim it to be a Celtic symbol. It's a circle with a dragon in the center of it that is uh, turned into a spiral. So basically the body and, and tail of the dragon comes, curls into a spiral at the center. And then it has two little hooks that come out from the exact center of the symbol. Now, I tried looking up the symbol to see if it was an actual Celtic iconography, and I did not find any evidence that this was a symbol in existence. So this must have been created specifically for the show. Also, the Irish tale, which uh, Conquabar actually talks about in his songs and whatnot, uh, is talking about the story of uh, Catan. And I tried looking up... Irish goddesses, tried looking up this name, there is no Irish goddess by this name, no goddess of war by this name. Uh, the actual Irish goddesses of war is actually three goddesses in one that they call the Morrigan. And so there's uh, Masha, uh, Black Annis, and Daman. And they basically all, it's like a, a trinity of goddesses, but they are all one, you know, it's... The war goddesses, so Dina Macha is Earth Mother or the slaughterer of men. And so she's shape-shifting and has the power of death and life. And Morgan, or Black Ennis, is um, in the Arthurian... Uh, I should the Arthurian... Arthurian. Uh, the story of King Arthur. Yeah. The story of King Arthur. Yeah, that character is actually um, Morgan Le Fay, uh, personified. And then the third face of the Morgan goddess is Naman, and she is the spirit of frenzy and basically the havoc of war. So it's a very, these three goddesses kind of form the Morrigan, and it is a powerful warlike presence. Uh, but that does not really have anything to do with this episode. Ghost Danny shows up and gives Sarah a lesson. Um, for a ghost, he's kind of a wise-ass, I have to admit. Ghosts are usually kind of spooky, but Danny acts exactly the same way he did when he died. So, better ghosts than what we're used to sometimes, maybe? Gabriel goes with Sarah, and then the next scene, i got to ask a question. How many detectives do you know uh, are showing off their midriff, like Sarah is, all the time? Like, none. Okay, just want to point that she out. She shows off that midriff just because she's got a good <laughs> she, she definitely works out for this show, uh, definitely. So then uh, Ian stalks as normal as usual right after Sarah meets the sexy guitarist, and our blonde is kidnapped. Yes, uh, a very fangirl-like blonde uh, person that uh, you know kind of flaunts onto Conquerbar after his set. Uh, she gets a roofie drink, so someone spikes her drink. She drinks and she passes out. She gets stolen away and then gets sacrificed in the same way. You know, the the staff through the heart, the silk rope around the neck, tied up, this iconography on the walls. Conkabar, by the she, way, has got a name kind of like Madonna. Yeah, just a one name. <laughs> no first name, no last name, just Conkabar. He's been in some things that I've never seen except for Beastmaster. He was on that show. He played a character for like an episode um, he was on Farscape for a couple episodes, The Peacekeeper Wars, if you remember the uh, sci-fi Jim Henson show Farscape. I do. Yeah, he was on that for two two episodes. This was, by the way, the miniseries that came out after the show ended. Oh. 
Yeah. He is Sarah's love interest for the next uh, several episodes. Um, Sarah can read dead languages because of the Witchblade, by the way. Of course you can. Of course you can, because the Witchblade has all these mysterious powers. Sarah follows the Irishman, and Jake is jealous of Sarah being out all night with the uh, Irish singer. And yet Jake is the one that told her that she needs to get a love life. She mm. basically needs to get laid, is what he's saying. Yeah. With him. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know... If Sarah's smart, that she would not ha- ever have sex with Jake because that would be, you know, uh, being becoming engaged with a coworker, and that would be kind of wrong. Right. It's around this scene that after Jake's jealousy shines through, that uh, so he's not into Sarah's not into him more than just being friends and partners. But obviously, our uh, Weasley captain is seeing this as well and decides to become very chummy with Jake for, again, a plot line that we will get to eventually. Yeah, he's very chummy and almost seems to know that Jake has additional information that he's not usually privy to. Correct. Also, it's coming across as a bit sexist, but I don't think it's intentional sexism. I think it's to do with the plot line I'm referring to coming up. Okay. All right, so All right. don't take his attitude towards Sarah and his chumminess with Jake as sexism. Take it as bad guy stuff. <laughs> ah, all right. Yeah, so you can be a bad guy and not be a sexist. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you are like a crime lord and you employ hot females as your bodyguards, does that make you a sexist? It depends on what you actually do with those minions. Like you do not have sex minions- with them. You are just using them because they're muscle and they're hot. <laughs> well, I mean, it would make sense if crime lord were a crime lord in, like, a high fashion society, then your minions would blend in with the crowd. So if you, if you have, like, gangster-style uh, crime business and you're just using hot, sexy muscle, then, yes, you're sexist. You know, they are standing out in the crowd versus blending in. Right. And don't forget a certain um, individual from the fictitious country of Wakanda uh, has a uh, royal guard, the Dora Malage, and they're all women. That's true. Yeah. That's true, but that's an entire army. Yeah, that's an entire army. Yeah, that is uh, not quite the whole army. Not the whole army of Wakanda. The foot soldiers are men and women, but the royal guard of the prince, of the king, are all women warriors. Well, they are a army. Maybe not. The entire army, but they are a army. They're an army of ten. Can you be an army of ten? You can. Yeah. I, I, I think of them again more as like the emperor's royal guards because they're always with him. You know what I mean? That's a close. That's a close. Yeah. I, I see. You're, yeah, and don't right. forget, they kind of switch sides over to his cousin when uh, the the king is defeated in Black Panther, and they have to because that's it's because whoever the king. They're loyal to the role. Right. Yeah. They're loyal to the role, not the person. Right. Despite how they feel about the person. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, which I assume then they would have become uh, loyal to um, the uh, white ape or white gorilla. What what what's the name of the the guy who tried to defeat T'Challa, uh, T'Challa but ended up befriending him later on? Uh, yeah, I I don't remember the name. But, but you I, know what I'm know talking about because about. both Siri and T'Challa were killed by Thanos. So uh, and unless his mother was still alive, uh, royal succession would secede to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that's what I'm assuming. But that's a plot line for Black Panther 2, which I'm sure they'll get to, and that's not this podcast. Uh, <laughs> so um, Brian kidnaps uh, another blonde um, and uh, is has her tied up at the altar, and Witchblade yeah. Sarah's up to save her, to stop the sacrifice. And, oh. 
Okay, uh, we're, we're going to have to take a pause because, you know, Brian was not introduced in any other episode. It's only for this episode that this bad guy is here. And we don't really see him. We, I, in the beginning of this, I thought that this cloaked person was in Nottingham because he's just a fucking creeper. Oh, you know? but, yeah, but Ian Nottingham yeah. is not a, a serial killer. No, he's not. Yeah, that's why it was confusing. And then uh, at the very end of the episode, you find out that this killer is Brian, who is a uh, person that's being um, kind of helped and mentored by this homeless shelter uh, woman, Iona. And Brian basically captures Iona for this sacrifice. Uh, we don't really have any background on Brian, or he wasn't introduced. Uh, there wasn't a lot of dialogue about him so it just kind of side swiped me it, it was information that was just not really well crafted with this episode correct by the way the actor who plays brian paul paulino nuez uh was on designated survivor and recently played the mayor of baltimore on the boys which is the amazon uh, comic book show but I remember him mostly from uh, playing multiple characters on the anthology slasher show, uh, Slasher, uh, which is on Netflix, and it's a Canadian horror show uh, where the main cast basically plays different characters every season, very similar to American Horror Story. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's a bit of a flashback kind of show once in a while, so you have to really pay attention to some things. Mm -hmm. um, they get a little bit too on the nose, politically heavy with things, but uh, overall it's a decent show. But okay. characters are just kind of stupid for stupid sake, and you thank God they get killed off like the way they do. But yeah. uh, he was also Frank Kowalski on The Strain, if you happen to watch that vampire show. You know, I haven't gotten into that one yet. It's not bad it's after the second season. The third and fourth season started making me wish it would end faster. Oh. Yeah, so anyway. Uh, but yeah, uh, Sarah Witchblade's up in the comic book. This would have torn her clothes to pieces and exposed all of her girly goods. Yeah, and she, Brian is about to sacrifice Iona, and she comes in to stop uh, Brian and, and says that you summoned me. He says, but the ritual is not over. He said, you know, let her go. Yeah, and he, she says, like, you want me to teach you how to fight like uh, King Conquabar? And, and, you know, put down the weapon. And so he ends up giving uh, Sarah the stone sword. She frees Iona. And, of course, they have this, this battle. And then out of nowhere, Brian gets shot. By Ian know. Nottingham. Yeah, yeah, Ian is there, like the creeper he is. He, Ian is there. So he's the, he's the one that shoots Brian. Jake is there as well with a gun, but his gun is cold, so therefore he didn't actually shoot. And the, and the topic is pretty much just dropped. They don't want to kind of go after Brian's killer you know, because she is now a hero for saving Iona, saving a, an innocent woman. And I guess case closed. I don't know. It's kind of a weird episode. And then um, Sarah finds a black bull shell. Yes. And we've seen those, haven't we? We have, and I don't want to give away what they're connected to, but it's a okay. big <laughs> plot line for this season and a microscopic plot line in season two. So it's, uh, it, it cultivates big time at the end of the show. Uh, and Sarah decides to go on a date with uh, the Irishman and listen to him play guitar. I wish I could play guitar so I could serenade a beautiful police officer. <laughs> and she told me to pause for it, too. If Puck we ever have a chance to talk to Yancey Butler or uh, the actor who plays um, Conk, what's his name? Conk? 
Conkabar. Conkabar, who I've tried looking up. He doesn't have any social media to speak of, but maybe you could try looking him up. Kim Delury, uh, then we could talk to him. He's going to be around for a few episodes. The episode itself was directed by David Jackson, who's directed other episodes, um, and also directed episodes of Miami Vice. And did you know there was a uh, Super Ninjas TV series? He also directed episodes of CSI New York, and one episode of Supernatural. He, in fact, directed one of my favorite episodes of Supernatural, Hookman. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> As of today, he is still working in uh, TV movies. Cheerleader Murders, The Spirit of Christmas, Last Vermont Christmas, Christmas Perfection, Cup of Love at wow. Christmas. Seriously? Do you see the theme I'm going with here? A lot of shitty Christmas a lot movies. Of, a lot of lifestyle television. Right. Lifestyle we're, television. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in a few moments after some promos here on the Dead TV Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Dorkening Podcast Network. Press pound to hear the available shows. That Strange Show, Throwdown Thursday, Loose Cannon with Jar Jar Jeremy, Three Guys That Horror, the new and improved Super Retro Throwback Reviews, The Audio Files 2.0. This is probably one of Dwayne's worst films. Yeah, he's allowed to have a tooth fairy every now and then, sure. Yeah, this is a tooth fairy and then some, because it does not show the monsters tearing up buildings until the last 20 minutes of the movie. That's what right. the game is. It's fucking monsters tearing up a, fuck, a fucking city. Secret Underground Hideout. Cinema with Harrison Smith. Dorks the Podcast. The Dorkening. Black and White Fright. The Wicked Horror Show. Subscribe to all these awesome shows anywhere podcasts can be found. For more information, check out thedorkening.com. I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman. You need to take out the trash. I don't have time for that now. We have two podcasts I have to create a new promo for. What? Both JLU cast and Superman? Yes. JLU cast where you and I discussed the Justice League and Justice League Unlimited animated series from Bruce Timm and company. And Supermates, our original show where we talk about all sorts of geeky stuff, including our annual House of Frankenstein series on classic horror films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. But how do we combine this into one promo? I have no idea, but it sounds like we're doing our original Supermates promo all over again. I kind of think we are, but hey, other folks kind of aped it, so it must have worked. Well, why don't you get to work taking out the trash, and I'll finish up. Great. So join us, Cindy. And Chris. On JLU Cast and Supermates, both proudly part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, found at fireandwaterpodcast.com and on iTunes. And we're back with the next episode of Witchblade on the Dead TV Podcast. By the way, I'd like to point out, that, yes, we do have a character who has an antique store, but we did the whole antique store uh, stuff things that we owned on the Friday the 13th show. You can go watch the Friday the 13th show. I'm not repeating that gag again. Yeah, I know. <laughs> You're going to get on this because it's connected to a comic book show, a lot of my comic book trivia knowledge. And when we have guests from the Witchblade comic book on the show, you'll get a lot of their comic book trivia knowledge as well. We do have a great interview coming up with somebody else from Top Cow. Uh, so I'll uh, I'll post that when I actually have that confirmed and locked in place for an interview. But we're also going to try and get some actors on the show from this show as well. Mr. Zeneca and I will try and reach out to people uh, for future episodes or writers and producers of the show. 
But why don't we jump into the next episode, Legion. Legion. Originally aired July 10th, 2001. The police arrest a troubled young man, Edward Nolan, for the murder of Monsignor Joe Bellamy. Except for Pez. The police are convinced that he is guilty. She is not ready to assign guilt so quickly, particularly when another priest, Father Del Toro, suggests that Nolan may be possessed. Using the Witchblade, Sarah is able to make contact with the dead priest in the same way that she speaks to her now-dead partner, Danny Wu. She learns from that the Vatican may have a particular interest in the Witchblade. Del Toro is not what he seems or claims to be. Sarah continues her relationship with Irish singer and poet, Punkabar. Okay. With sexy results. Pause real quick. <laughs> I think it's pretty funny that Roger Daltrey's in this episode playing a priest because at the time this show was airing, CSI had just launched as well. Oh, yeah, and, and Roger Daltrey, uh, most famous for Tommy, rock opera, right. among other things. And he was also on the soundtrack for several other movies. Of course, The Who has been the soundtrack of several movies and television shows. Um, but uh, how often is he actually playing a character in a movie is the real question. Quite a lot, actually. He's actually been uh, played several uh, people throughout his career. Mm. Yeah, he was on uh, not only Witchblade, he was on The Simpsons for an episode, he was on a television series called Rude Awakening, uh, Highlander. I just watched uh, the movie Onward in theaters, uh, the new Disney mm-hmm. Pixar movie, and you know how every uh, Pixar film has a short film before it? Yeah. This one was a Simpsons short film. Really? completely dialogue-free as it's told from Maggie's perspective. Aw, cute. It is adorable, considering also it, it it's Maggie meeting a boy at the uh, playground. Aw, that's so cute. But the whole short is dialogue-free. I'm definitely going to have to take my son to see that. It was on our agenda to do anyway. Yeah. We always see the Pixar films. The, uh, the, the, the Mickey Mouse logo pops up uh, just as the, uh, the previews have finally stopped or whatever, and you think, oh, well, I guess... Maybe it's a Mickey Mouse short uh, for the for the for the short before the Pixar movie, and no, it's two donuts above Homer's head. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> I I hope this is the beginning of more Simpsons shorts before Disney films. Well, now that Disney owns the Simpsons, they and they certainly do. This episode yeah. was directed by Neil uh, Fiernelli. Fiernelli, I have that name correct. He worked on R.L. Stein's The Haunting Hour as a director of several episodes, and unfortunately was the director of one of the worst movies of all time, Look Who's Talking Now, which is the one with the dogs. But he did direct. Uh, I forgot least, about that movie. But he did direct six episodes of uh, Witchblade and is still alive, so maybe we can have him on the show. Awesome. Yeah. Let's try. So Roger Daltrey of the Who is in this episode, as we have already gone over. Uh, an old woman finds uh, John Bellamy, and my name is Legion. We are many. What is that a quote from? Uh, we are Legion, we are many. Uh, I don't actually have the exact quote on that, because Legion is something uh, that's basically a name for the conglomeration of evil spirits that has been used in uh, literature and biblical mythology for a long time. So do you have the exact place where that quote is from? Uh, no, that's why I asked you. 
Yeah, that's not what I thought. That's not what I researched. Sorry. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, I, by the way, I just looked up Neil's Twitter. He hasn't been on Twitter since 2017, so that's probably not a good place. Okay, so it's from Mark59. Mark 5-9? Okay. So it's a Bible quote. Yeah. Um, when I hear, hear Legion, I always think of uh, Legion like the TV series that was connected to the X-Men. Because Legion is the name oh. of Charles Xavier's son. Okay. Yeah. He was responsible so you, for you, you one of the greatest... Of the comic version. He was responsible... Legion in the comic book, uh, X-Men, was responsible for one of the greatest X-Men stories ever written called Age of Apocalypse where uh, Legion decides to help his father's dream, he has to do one thing. Go back in time and kill Magneto, and father's dream will be realized. What he doesn't, uh, what he doesn't realize is that uh, the X-Men go back in time and try and stop him, and Charles Xavier jumps in front of the psychic blast meant for Magneto, end up killing him, and in doing so, uh, Magneto would, would uh, find found the X-Men as a promise to Xavier, on as Xavier lies dying in his arms. Unfortunately, also, the psychic blast of killing Charles Xavier awakens Apocalypse at least 20 years before he's supposed to be. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, but uh, in terms of Bible stuff, I'm not the biggest expert on it, but yeah, it's a quote from the Bible. Also, we do have a lot of possession and uh, devils in this episode, or it's just the one devil, but it's uh, Legion is all many devils. Hmm, interesting. So what happens next as uh, Sarah and Jake show up to arrest this poor lad? Sarah and Jake come to arrest, and they have cornered, along with the other uh, members of the police force, they've cornered Edward in an alley. Now, the police are ready to shoot this unarmed man, and Sarah jumps on top of him to basically prevent them from doing so, and then she sees that, you know, uh, Mr. Nolan's eyes are glowing, and, you know, he says, you know, we are Legion, and then the next scene is they're at the police station, and the cops are still beating him up. And she even says, whoa, whoa, you know, you know, he's not even resisting. And he says, well, he should be dead. I yeah, did not realize but... that these police have such a hard-on for killing this guy yes. just because he killed, or a, a, presumably, uh, killed okay. a priest. Yeah. Again. This is all connected to the big plot line of the season, which we will be coming up on very, very soon. Like, uh, for instance, the captain being very chummy with Jake, but kind of hating Sarah. And it's tied to yeah. it's tied to her. It's tied to her father. It's tied to her former police captain. It's it's a it's a it's a it's a storyline that's going to come up, and it's it's just going to get worse and worse until it gets better. Trust me. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll keep in tune for that. <laughs> So Edward Nolan gets locked up. Now, he wants to be locked up. It's evident throughout the entire episode. He wants to be locked up. Uh, he tells the story about his creation and, you know, when they're interviewing him, and turns out that he is a prop of incest. His mother, uh, by his words, seduced her father, which I don't believe is actually possible. Um, and then she had, had the gall to get pregnant, Again, not her fault. The mother tried to abort Eddie and with, with a vacuum hose and was not successful. So he is basically an abortion survivor and an incest uh, baby. Ew. Not a good life. 
Not at all. Yeah, not his fault, but still, ew. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, there's a lot of scenes between Sarah and Nolan, basically where she insists that he is innocent, and he basically insists that he is evil. Not that evil as in the devil evil, but just like he does not deserve to live. Uh, how can you argue with that, really? And then at the very end, you know, he, you know, he commits suicide inside his inside his prison cell. Now, this show's episode came out in 2001. Mm-hmm. What did the Boston Globe uncover in 2003 that blew the lid off the Catholic Church? Uh, many, many pedophilic... Uh, cases? <laughs> so there's a lot there. Well, what, are you, what, what are you talking about? Okay. So pause. We're going to edit that out. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. In 2003, the uh, Boston Globe investigation team Spotlight uncovered uh, many, many, many hundreds of unreported cases of sexual misconduct, conduct, rape, um, and conspiracy within the Catholic Church of priests that had uh, used their power to um, sexually, sexually assault uh, many young people, boys mostly. And yeah. I'm kind of wondering if the show's episode, this episode in particular, would have had a different spin on it if uh, this had come out after that. But this wouldn't information wouldn't come out for at least a couple of years uh, later. And, of course, was um, really brought to... Uh, an ama- put together in an amazing story uh, in the movie Spotlight, uh, which starred uh, Liam, ne- uh, Liam, uh, Liam Schreiber, uh, Lee, sorry, Liam Schreiber, Michael Keaton, Rachel McAdams, um, uh, the actor who plays the Hulk, I, his name now escapes me, um, Mark Ruffalo. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely a great movie to check out, but I'm kind of curious, like, how they would have handled that plot, that that true facts, if that had come out before this episode uh, was written. Yeah, I, I don't know how that they would spin this topic. Uh, this episode has several good guy priests, the ones that will keep secrets and and really help their um, their flock, because Edward Nolan had mental illnesses, and that Father Bellamy was trying very hard to listen to his confessions and to talk him through things and to keep him calm. So he actually considered um, Father Bellamy his best friend, right? And to basically kill him. That's intense, and and he hates himself. And he feels responsible even though he wasn't the actual person doing it. Mm. Now, the priest, of course, recognizes the Witchblade because the Witchblade has had a connection to the Catholic Church for many years. Yes, yeah, it was revealed in this episode and cut teased in the last one at the very end where um, Sarah finds out that the uh, Witchblade was actually given to a person named Elizabeth Bronte, which was a spy and also Hitler's girlfriend. And so we dive into that topic in this episode 
uh, very deeply, where it says that the witchblade itself was locked into the Vatican for 500 years, and it only came out in times of great need. Mm, very so, interesting. Which um, it, I think, again, the show only has certain rights to certain things or whatever tied to Witchblade itself. But there is a character in Top Cow's universe heavily tied to uh, Witchblade called the Magdalena. And she wields as her weapon the Spear of Destiny, which is the spear that pierced Christ's side. And she is actually the assassin for the Catholic Church. She well, is basically it's, it's, like a uh, praying nun with her midriff showing and, you know... Um, no boob window, thankfully, but uh, <laughs> sometimes wearing basically like uh, the top half of a nun's costume up until her, you know, belly button needs to be shown, and then uh, workout panties and boots. You know, like like you would work out in, though. <laughs> you know, because uh, that's what you would wear when you're going in about. I mean, she needs to be, have some flexibility, so sure, why not? But uh, she uh, has been involved with Sarah Pizzini and Laura Croft and the darkness. So, <laughs> Cool. We find out that uh, Pope Pius actually wrote uh, back and forth with Hitler. Hitler's deal was that he would leave uh, the church and all of its Vatican treasures alone if the church would turn its back on... Uh, and not even mention anything about Nazis. Like, keep silent on Nazis, keep out of my business, I'll keep out of your business. And in return for for this exchange, this pact, Hitler wanted an object of power. And so uh, Pope Pius actually gave up the witchblade to Hitler. Now, Hitler actually was a very big uh, occult uh, expert, really, at the end of it, yeah. Uh, he made extensive notes on a book called Magic, Theory, History, and Practice. And he went out actually in search of religious artifacts and, and objects of power. All of this is completely true. So, like, Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's actually closer to reality than you might think. Hitler had carried this deep desire for occult objects all through the 1930s. And he actually had a forces to go out, scour the globe for these objects. So all of that type of sentiment in this episode is absolutely factually true. You know, it wasn't the Witchblade, of course, but Hitler did want these objects, and this would have been one of them had this been a real thing. Yeah, I actually did a lot of research after having, um, when I was an adult, and that watched uh, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark or The Last Crusade, uh, to understand where is this coming from about Hitler's obsession with the occult. And that's uh, when mm. I learned the truth that, yeah, they, that, that's pretty accurate in those movies uh, with Spielberg and Lucas that they made that uh, a, a big thing with Hitler uh, for those films with the Nazis because that Hitler was obsessed with the occult. Very much so. Hmm. Yeah. I am not oh. of the Catholic faith. It is definitely not something I could uh, stick to if I was. Originally was Catholic, but I am no longer. <laughs> Sarah um, obviously also gets information from her boyfriend about uh, church and being Catholic because uh, being Irish and Catholic kind of go hand in hand a, a lot of a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so by the way, the episode, actor who plays the yeah. actor who plays oh shoot, Father Joe Bellamy, our mm-hmm. uh, deceased priest. Guess what famous character he played in the X-Men universe on the animated series in the 90s? 
Uh, X Men series in the nineties. So what does his voice sound like? Magneto. He was Magneto. Magneto? He was Eric Lencher. Ah! Yes. Ding ding ding. Yes, he was Eric Lencher. (laughs) And he came back to play Eric Lencher in the in a couple in a few of the X Men video games as well. Awesome. Yeah, so uh, heavily connection to uh, religion in a lot of ways there. But he was also on um, uh, Tales from uh, the Crypt Keeper. He was actually the voice of the Vault Keeper on that show, which was uh, not the Crypt Keeper himself, but the uh, one of the other people involved in the EC Comics. But yet, uh, he, he's been a voiceover actor for a great number of years. And uh, according to this, he is still alive just hasn't been working since 2007. But he was also in Rollerball and Brain Scan, if you've ever seen those films. Mm. I have seen them. Very cool. Earth Final Conflict, that was a big show he was on as well. He was on all 68 episodes. Very cool. Um, so then uh, Danny visits Sarah again and gives him gives her access to the ghost of the priest. Yeah. Because so she's Sarah like, I can talk to you with this thing. Why can't I talk to other dead people? Because Sarah also eventually tries to get in her head that maybe she can talk to her dad. Oh, yeah. Well, if she, if she has contact with the spirit world, then she, in theory, has contact with all of the spirit world. And, and she so has... even though even though Danny says, it's a bad idea, you shouldn't do this, it's a bad idea, she does it anyway, and she reaches out to the dead father, Bellamy, who then basically tells her that he didn't see who attacked her which, of course, is uh, useless for her specific case. But he ends up, like, talking more about the Witchblade itself uh, than about his murderer. Jake also left out of there. So after the ghost leaves, there's a drop of blood on the, on the ground. Sarah, uh, Jake also feels left out of Sarah's investigation, too, because she has to do stuff with the Witchblade that uh, she can't involve him. Yeah, and Jake's kind of salty about it. Yep, and again, it's just a little more piece of that bigger plot line that I was talking about. It's like, you know, other other officers in training are attached to the hip to their senior officers. Why not me? <laughs> right, a little whiny there, <laughs> Jake. Like but a teenager whining. Little bit, little bit. Yeah. So, like, in this episode, it's kind of confusing whether ghosts can actually interfere with the physical. Uh, uh, physical reality because the ghost of Father Bellamy left a drop of blood and then when Father Del Toro invisibly or spiritually visits Edward in his prison cell, he actually gets a splatter of blood on him and he wipes it off. It's like if he's not there, he shouldn't be getting blood on his face. A little muddled as to what the ghosts can really do. The priest talks Just about a- demonic possession uh yeah uh sarah visits the, oh sorry sarah visits the priest to talk about demonic possession um i don't think we ever get demons on this show but again i'm re-watching this for the first time in 20 years so uh then we get a little bit of sexy time with sarah in bed which is very interesting yeah but sarah uh sorry the suspect beats himself to death in prison yeah because father Totoro, which you can see on the closed circuit tv is not there you know so Edward Norton or Nolan is actually talking to himself in his cell, according to the, the closed circuit television. Uh, Father Del Toro is just kind of persuading him to kill himself. Mm. He doesn't expressly say so, but uh, you know he says, uh, uh, "If it's whatever Jesus wants, whatever Jesus wants," and he's, then he just starts ramming his head into the side of the wall. There's some. Uh, oh, I, this is what I wrote down. 
there is some definite gay subtext here. Well, there's definitely some homoeroticism. I wouldn't say gay, but it's more like intimate and touching because he's trying to manipulate Eddie into actually doing something. Correct. Yeah. And after Eddie dies in his cell, I, Sarah goes to the you know goes to see it and uh, accuses the guard on duty of letting in someone without actually logging into the system. And he's like, you know, you want to check the log? And she's like, oh, your log? As if she wouldn't trust this officer's opinion on things. Her police force is just really messed up. They don't trust one another. They do all sorts of police brutality. Like, this police force really has something wrong with it. Oh, yeah. There's a, a lot of really bad corruption in this police force. Um, and with the new captain and the old captain out or whatever, it just kind of seeps in more and more. So it uh, again, it, it's a, it's a big plot line for this season coming up very soon. Yeah. So Sarah confronts Father Del Toro at the church while she confronts him and says that you know Eddie didn't actually commit the murder, you did. It was your voice on the 911 call reporting the killing. And his explanation is that I heard the old lady scream. After she saw the body, I heard the old lady scream, I live across the street, I came in, I called 911. Actually, that's a reasonable answer, uh, but he ends up revealing his own evil with these strobe light effects and makeup effects and, you know, he goes, evil face. And then a fight ensues. A fight ensues to a, uh, a, a battle between the heavens and hell. It's like they're they're actually battling up in the sky with these thunderclouds and the young priest, uh, because of course there always has to be old priest, the young priest, and everything. Uh, the the young priest is just watching, kind of dumbfounded about this whole thing. The dead priest is actually watching in the corner, and they're fighting in the sky. One thing I want to point out is that Jake talks about how the uh, Nolan will probably plead insanity and do soft time if he doesn't walk all together. And then uh, apparently this is a big TV trope about pleading, uh, pleading insanity. In the real world, being found innocent on the grounds of insanity means being found violently insane and you will get committed. Very much so, yes. You do not get to walk. You will be committed for an X number of months, probably not a whole year, but depending on how well you do in the psych ward. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, uh, psych facilities have a harsher... Um, system than uh, prisons did. I don't know how it is these days where everything is uh, a little bit more under the microscope, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I think it all depends on the state you're into. I'm not going to speculate on psych ward prison stuff on the podcast, but you kind of get my meaning. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. um, certain things are painted certain ways in movies and TV and other times they're not. So, yeah, this is also like the first kind of battle of some kind of supernatural force that we've had for Sarah. This is truly an epic battle. You know, they're fighting in the sky. And then, you know, she basically pins Father Del Toro and, and you know, does, uh, you, know, you know, release, uh, get out of here. And, and he ends up just vanishing. Right. You know, like, like he wasn't a body in which the spirit was inhabiting, but he was the spirit itself. Right. Definitely. So they're fighting, and then there's a, the sound of laughter after he disappears, you know, as if we're going to actually see this character again. 
Well, that's all the notes I have here tonight on the Dead TV podcast with these two episodes of Witchblade. We'll be back in a couple weeks with another episode. Uh, I believe we'll be on episode six and seven of uh, the Witchblade season one. I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in. We are going to continue to try and stay on our bi-weekly schedule for the Witchblade. Uh, we will let you know on the Facebook page if we do happen to have a guest coming up on the show. You can check us out on the Facebook page for the Dead TV Podcast and on our Twitters at ChrisDSAV and at ElegantlyKinky. Good night, everyone. Good night.